You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Brandon Blewett. And I'm Dee Hager. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, November 6th, 2023. One of the casualties of that merger could be any chance of getting basic parking usage data reported to the public. Later in the program, local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin continues a report on the potential merging of commissions within City Hall. More in today's feature report. What can I do? to actually help. And this is something that I can physically do with my hands that is actually making a difference. That's Jenny Kirby, a volunteer in Bloomington's Adopted Green Space program. Learn how you can run your own tiny nature preserve later on in the show on a new episode of Activate. But first, your daily headlines. Tuesday, November 7th, marks Election Day in Monroe County. This year's ballot includes the mayor's race and a referendum for Monroe County Community School Corporation. The District 3 City Council seat is the only contested race for the off-year election. Republican Brett Heinisch is running against Democrat Hopi Stossberg for the District 3 City Council spot. If you live within the district boundaries, you can vote on the MCCSC referendum an 8.5 cent property tax rate increase to fund early childhood education programs. On election day, you will need to vote at your assigned polling place. To find your polling place, you can visit indianavoters.in.gov. Polling sites will be open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. At the Monroe County Election Board meeting on November 2nd, County Clerk Nicole Brown gave an update on early voting numbers. Moving on to election day updates, Um, And thank you, Ryan. As I say in real time, he is keeping me up to date on the number of voters. So um, pieces of trivia for you. The number of persons eligible to vote in this municipal are 59,643. The total in-person absentee votes that have been cast absentee ballots that have been cast since October 11th, which was the first day of early and in-person voting, is 1,702. That's 1702. And thanks to Ryan. How you doing, Ryan? Get better. Um, As of 1259, 121 people have voted since the polls opened at 8 o'clock today. Yesterday, we had 166 people to vote. We are averaging approximately 100 voters per day. Started off really, really slow. It has ramped up. The total number of absentee and, I'm sorry, absentee military and overseas ballots is 309. Um, We have had 301 absentee ballots returned by mail. We have 184 absentee ballots by mail that have yet to be returned. We have 36 requests for travel board. Of those, 12 have been voted. 24 people who have requested travel board have yet to be voted. 
Brown shared the days and times of which early voting center will be open before Election Day on Tuesday. And then if you are not able to vote early in person, you will go to your regular polling site on Tuesday. The only exception to that, we have the absentee deadlines have passed for mail and for overseas and military. Those de email deadlines have passed. Democratic Chair David Henry commented that he has received positive feedback from the public on the early voting center. But I was going to say, you know, I've had some good feedback from members of the community that um, have early voted um, and they, they had nothing but compliments in terms of how the throughput's working and how people are working through early voting. And so, um, you know, that good anecdotal feedback matters. And so, you know, it's a good um, exercise and having having a, a full um, election in our municipal and uh, referendum voting. Next. Henry brought up the Vote Center Study Committee. He asked Clerk Brown if she had her final appointee selected yet. Brown said she did not have anyone finalized yet. Democratic Chair David Henry nominated Steve Volan to the commission. The Democratic Party will make its last appointment to the Vote Center Committee. Um, and in the, you know, the person I'm appointing is someone who's been an advocate for the 45,000 or so members of our community that are adults that uh, attend Indiana University that um, deserve a right to vote and engage in our community. Um, also, um, has been a passionate speaker on neurodivergence in our community and uh, as, a, as someone who speaks on those issues and is aware of those that um, in our community have uh, spectrum disorder and other um, challenges and, and uh, getting out to vote and understanding where they need to go, I'm happy to appoint Steve Volan of Bloomington to the third seat on the uh, Vote Center Study Committee to help us work through um, the uh, process of getting those going. So uh, Steve is my appointment to fill out the Democratic slate to work on that uh, issue. The board voted unanimously to approve the nomination. Henry asked if there were any updates on the date of the first meeting of the commission. Deputy Clerk Kylie Moorsland responded. Um, the email was sent out for all of them to send in availability for the first week of December. Um, we are currently waiting on a few more individuals to return their availability for that. Um, as soon as that is done, we will have the first meeting set and then we will be able to let you guys know when that will be. Henry said that he understands if the meeting takes a few more weeks to set up since in the grand scheme of things, it has been years in the making. I know it's a little unusual for uh, the election board to have a committee doing other things under its auspice, but I, I, we, it's been a, a good education to get that set up. Um, I will just say from my seat, it's taken us 12 years and good um, bipartisan communication with uh, both parties to get back in the room to talk about this. So if we got to go a few more weeks until we get the meeting, I'm okay with that. Um, but we'll get going on it, I think. The election board voted to recess the meeting and the readjourn on November 6th at Election Central. The next scheduled election board meeting is scheduled for December 7th. On November 2nd, the Monroe County Commissioners and the Monroe County Council held a joint session to continue discussing the location of the new jail. Commissioner Penny Givens began the meeting with a statement outlining the options and feedback they have received. So we're here today to update the community about the Thompson Project property as a potential location for the new jail and Justice Campus. Before we start, I want to state emphatically, no decision has been made yet on the location. Just to make sure everyone is on the same page, I'd like to review what's happened so far. We've held multiple public meetings, some with the general public and several with other elected officials. 
it was difficult for me to be in some of those meetings, but the things I heard have definitely impacted my thinking. So far, the general consensus is to have the jail co-located with other components of the justice system, the courtrooms, judges, chambers, and offices of, for community corrections, the public defender, and the prosecutor. Co-location, whether it is done all at once or sequentially, requires additional land. Co-location will also require space for parking. I and the other county commissioners believe it is important to have sufficient space to meet future needs as well. So with that in mind, we have been advised by DLZ, our design firm, that we need at least 25 acres. As you already know, some people want the jail and justice campus to remain where it is. Some people want it on the Thompson site, which the county already owns, and some people want it built away from existing residential neighborhoods. It's important as we move forward to remember what different entities have in where to build. The county council funds building projects. Since Monroe County already owns all but a few acres at the Thompson location, the county council agreed to support having both an environmental and a geotechnical assessment done. The county council is the body which will determine how much to spend on this current project, which directly impacts whether co-location occurs immediately or at some unknown time in the future. The sheriff has stated he favors co-location. Co-location requires less staff and is safer for both the staff and the community. The sheriff has also repeatedly shared his reasons for building a single-story jail. The city council and some of the judges have let us know they favor keeping the jail and justice complex inside city limits. For any potential site identified inside the city, the city planning department and the city council will need to agree to rezone the property. We, the county commissioners, are in charge of all county buildings. We also approve all contracts, including the contracts for the design and construction of new facilities. Because we want to ensure that we truly understand what is needed, we have attended trainings, visited other jails, held conversations with our colleagues, and held community meetings in preparation for our role in the design aspects of the jail and justice complex and on its location. Before we go any further, I want to acknowledge the public feedback we have received about the Thompson site. Predominant concerns seem to be safety, especially the safety of the children who attend Summit Elementary and who use the nearby parks. It's concerned about increased traffic, especially with the traffic problems already seen at school opening and closing times. And an impact and concerns about the impact the jail will have on home values. People were also concerned about locating the jail near a Habitat for Humanity neighborhood. We want to respond to some of these issues and allow others, like the sheriff, who we hope will also come forward and address some of them. Givens added that Thompson site was initially purchased by the county as a location for a juvenile detention center. As everyone has already heard, the Thompson property is currently the only one inside city limits which might meet our space needs. The potential site wasn't included for consideration because who lives in adjoining neighborhoods? It was actually purchased by the county over 20 years ago as a location for a juvenile detention center. That was before Summit Elementary was built and before many of the homes in the area were built. Commissioner Lee Jones shared information from the environmental studies on the Thompson site. 
The next steps we're looking at, um, <clears throat> we have received a phase one environmental study and have commissioned a phase two study of the Thompson site. From phase one, we know there are karst features and quarry pits on this property. We just received the geotechnical report, which is being shared with DLZ. The geotechnical report should let us know things like the hydrology of the site, soil borings to determine the soil depth and type, and stability. We expect to have a report from DLZ on the viability of Thompson, and if it is viable, what the cost would be to build there before the end of the year. As has been said before, the results of these assessments may exclude Thompson as a site. Last week I approved the hundred. Excuse me. I think somebody was speaking. Oh, it's okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, I thought someone was talking to me. Um, as I have said, the results of these assessments may exclude Thompson as a site but more than viability and cost will go into the final decision on the jail location. Council member Jeff McKim responded that he was glad the commissioners were considering the option to co-locate the jail. First of all, I, I am glad that it seems like co-location, uh, that there's a consensus that co-location is going to be critical for uh, an effective jail site. I definitely support it. Um, I think the timing of which is still up for discussion, and I don't. I don't think we have a good sense of of the relative costs yet. Uh, I do agree that it, in many ways it would be less expensive and simpler if if everything were planned all at once rather than having some kind of interim transit plan between between the two facilities. But I think uh, colo we absolutely need to commit to co-locating uh, just our justice facilities there. Um, I know that we've received the geotech uh, reports, and I have glanced through it. I don't have the technical knowledge to be able to <laughs> interpret it yet. So I think you know a lot. Of, a lot of our of these decision decisions are going to depend on um, DL how, how DLZ can tell us whether or not we'll have enough developable land once all these concerns are taken into account. Once we get the phase two uh, and all these concerns are taken into account, will we have that 25 acres at least? Um, you know, originally I, I, our thought was that there were probably four different developable sites on the Thompson property that would give us some flexibility both for the, the justice facility, but also for possible future uh, future non-jail uh, treatment facilities. But we'll have to find out. I mean, maybe the, the geotechnical concerns might um, rule some of those out. But Kim added that some concerns might have already been addressed. Okay, so to go back to the, the public meeting, there were some concerns, I think, that either were or should have been uh, eliminated once the public was informed that Rogers would not be the the ingress egress for the uh, so for example there were representatives for the Broadview area neighborhood I, as far as I can tell if Rogers is not an ingress egress the impact on the Broadview area neighborhood is is nil um, the I think the biggest concern is is how to buffer the Osage Place neighborhood. I, I think that's probably the the biggest concern is to make sure that the residents there don't lose the value either in terms of money or just in terms of quality of life of their home. And I think that's 
you know, that, that's, that is a significant design uh, decision. I don't, I don't think that eliminates, for me, the Thompson property as a, good, as a site for the jail, but it definitely does mean that uh, the design has to be, has to take the, the needs of those residents firmly into uh, consideration. Um, on Summit, you know, I, it's clear that there are, I, for want of a better word, sketchy people who hang out behind Summit um, in the woods there sometimes. And I, I, I kind of feel like having a government facility, having a sheriff's department and a jail is, is going to be part of the solution. And so I want us to try to be part of the solution, not, not part of the problem. And I think we can be part of the solution there. Council member Cheryl Munson said that the concerns about the jail going near a neighborhood could have the ad added benefit of making residents feel more safe since the sheriff's department would be relocated there. In fact, people, I believe, the next to a jail offers uh, certain security to them, uh, especially because the sheriff's department will be uh, moving to the, the Justice campus as well. Bloomington City Council President Sue Scambellary spoke on the preferences of the City Council about the location being inside city limits. One point I want to clarify, um, there, there is a great deal, I think, that, that brings agreement around the issue of a new jail. Um, certainly co-location is a priority, sensitivity to surrounding neighborhoods and the need for buffering, as Councilmember Kim spoke to, um, is important. Um, as for location within city limits, when that, when that preference was initially expressed, the preference focused on access to transit, okay? Since that time, the city council has um, passed legislation that will allow for, the, for arguably the first time uh, transit to exist outside of corporate city corporate limits. So the priority for some of us at least, was not inside the city limits for the sake of being inside the city limits. It was inside the city limits for the sake of having access to transit. So those who have family members or, or, or significant others who are incarcerated or tied to the jail have a way to get there. Um, so transit, I think, we, I think rather than looking at the issue of location uh, in terms of being within city limits or not in city limits, I think we need to look at it in terms of access. Uh, and, and transit being a part of that. So I would offer that thought around it. Um, beyond that, uh, council members Rosenbarger and Piedmont Smith represent the area um, and will represent the area um, around Thompson and, and um, certainly they appreciate being kept in the loop. I appreciate your including us in this conversation. Um, and again, we, we too are sensitive to the issues uh, around location near neighborhoods, and I think the comments about buffering are especially well taken. The commissioners and the council will continue to discuss the location of the jail site and listen to public comment on the matter. Commissioner Givens said that residents can email any comments to commissioner's office at co.monroe.in.us. In today's feature report, local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin continues a report on the potential merging of commissions within City Hall. We turn to Askins for more.
The B-Square Bulletin sends out an emailed morning bulletin every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can sign up for the morning bulletin by visiting bsquarebulletin.com and clicking on the tab labeled Subscribe. Here's an entry from a recent edition. The headline to this blurb, Parking Data? The City of Bloomington is exploring the idea of merging the Bicycle and Pedestrian Safety Commission, the Traffic Commission, and the Parking Commission into a single group, which would be called the Advisory Transportation Commission, or ATC. One of the casualties of that merger could be any chance of getting basic parking usage data reported to the public on a routine basis. The data I'm talking about includes daily hour-by-hour parking garage usage numbers and daily usage numbers for the city's on-street parking meters. There are at least three city departments that would need to collaborate to get that kind of data funneled on a routine basis into Bloomington's Be Clear data portal. Those three departments are the Controller's Office, the Parking Services Division of Public Works, and the IT Department. Since its establishment in 2016, the Parking Commission has not managed to coordinate the work of those three departments to deliver a single data set to the public. But I think it is work that needs to get done. If the Parking Commission disappears, I think that work won't get done by the new ATC. I think a logical alternative to act as a steward for this data is the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission, or RDC. Why should the RDC care about parking usage numbers? It's because the RDC paid for construction of the two most recent new parking garages using tens of millions of tax increment finance dollars. The RDC already has an effective working relationship with the controller's office, which is represented at all of the RDC's meetings. Anyhow, I think making Bloomington's RDC the center of the city's parking data universe is an idea worth exploring. Until next week, this has been Dave Askins with the B-Square Bulletin for WFHB. When Jenny Kirby and Liza Saracini moved into their new home near Clear Creek, they fell in love with the surrounding natural habitat. Through the City of Bloomington Adopted Green Space Program, Jenny and Liza are now active stewards of a tiny nature preserve they are calling Bunting Burrow. Hear their story on a new episode of Activate, coming your way right now on WFHB Local News. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, I'm Liza Saracena. And I'm Jenny Kirby, and we are with the Adopt-A-Green Space program through the City of Bloomington Parks and Recreation. So the Adopt-A-Green Space program is all volunteer-based, and it is where you can adopt a piece of land that's owned by the park, and you're taking care of it. You're removing invasive plants. You're allowing the native plants there to flourish. You're removing trash. Um, and again, it's an all-volunteer program. 
Um, we actually recently moved, and we're um, right by Clear Creek. And we were really curious about the space, had a lot of different plants in it, and we talked to Parks and Rec, and they told us that it was actually park land, which we didn't know. That was really exciting to us, and we wanted to help it. We could see there was a lot of trash in there, lots of invasive species, so we decided to adopt it. And we've named it Bunting Burrow because we have lots of indigo buntings that come visit our bird feeders there. And the rail trail is really a hot spot for um, nesting birds, indigo buntings, uh, pileated woodpeckers. Yeah, it's a little glorious part of nature. When we first moved, we saw that there was a red-shouldered hawk nest and we got to watch them grow up and we get orioles at our feeders all the time. It is phenomenal and we're so excited to make it even better really nature, um, ecology, conservation is really has always been important to me. I've always felt most at home just taking a stroll through the forest. What can I do to actually help? And this is something that I can physically do with my hands that is actually making a difference. Yeah, so if you adopt a green space, then you're responsible basically for that little green space that includes um, surveying for invasive plants, you know, what is out there, um, and also noticing the native plants, you know, what things do you want to highlight and keep an eye on, um, trash, pickup. And so the responsibilities are that you, you know, do trash pickup, do survey, do you know, maybe you pick a little bit of garlic mustard or you cut down an Asian bush honeysuckle once a month um, is kind of your commitment. And then you submit reports to the city um, on what you've did, what you've noticed. You just like take it one plant at a time. And when you figure out that plant, you learn a new one. So it, they they teach you really well. So it's not overwhelming and it's really gratifying. There's also Adopt-A-Stream, which is a separate program. Um, and somebody had already adopted Clear Creek, so we, we didn't adopt that part of the stream, even though we're part of Clear Creek. But if you're more interested maybe in water quality, that is something that you could do that's a very similar program. Yeah, and they teach you how to do all the scientific testing. So you like take part of the water and you check for different qualities. Um, and it seems really nerdy and cool. Yeah, you can go on the City of Bloomington Parks and Rec website, and they have information there on how to get involved with Adopt a Green Space. Jillian Field is kind of the main point person for that Urban Green Space Adopt a Green Space program. Um, also on Facebook, you can sign up um, through Facebook or through the website for a newsletter that comes out and tells you, you know, what weed wrangles are coming up, kind of what plants they're focused on getting rid of at that point in time. Um, so um, there's lots of ways and lots of paths to get involved. Yeah, even if you're not sure exactly what you want to do yet, you subscribe to the emails, you get one once a week, and you just start kind of understanding all the different things that are offered. And then when you see one that really piques your interest, you can go for it. Again, I'm Liza Saracena. And I'm Jenny Kirby from the City of Bloomington Adopt-A-Green Space program. Help us keep Bloomington native. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. 
You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Ashley Voss, Anika Harshbarger, and Noel Herhushke-Schneider in partnership with Pat's Community Action Television Services. Activate is produced by Chad Carruthers and Michelle Moss. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Deke Hager. And I'm Brandon Blewett. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB.